Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. The time is 10.01. You are listening to Community Radio WERU-FM, and Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. People are at the heart of any community, and people need places to live. But increasingly, even people with good jobs and decent incomes can't afford a home to rent or to purchase in coastal Maine. And this morning, we're going to talk about um, the cost of housing and how that affects the very heart of our communities. We've got some guests in the studio who can help us with that topic. I'm glad to welcome back uh, to our WERU studios, Tom Martin from the Hancock County Planning Commission. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Ron. I'm glad to be here. Also, welcoming back Chris Spruce. Chris is uh, director of the Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island. Welcome to you, Chris. Welcome, Ron. Thank you. And Amanda Charette is joining us. Um, she's with Habitat for Humanity in Penobscot County. Welcome to you, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, perhaps each of you could provide a little bit of uh, background on yourselves and your organizations and how um, they relate to the overall topic uh, very briefly before we go on to um, delve into the subject more briefly, um, more in- intensely. Um, Tom, could we start with you and tell us a little bit about um, your background and, and the background of the Hancock County Planning Commission? My background is in town planning. I've been doing town planning for over 30 years. The Hancock County Planning Commission is an organization of the 38 towns in Hancock County. And what we do is we provide technical assistance to towns working primarily with planning boards and selectmen, helping them on projects uh, that are of municipal interest. We also do regional studies and transportation uh, environmental cleanup uh, and solid waste management so that we really have our fingers in many pies but it's all geared toward helping municipalities and helping towns work together. And in terms of affordable housing you've been um, long helping towns consider um, some of the, the uh, issues connected with providing housing at a, at a, a rate that most people can afford. Yes, we have. We've done that in several ways. We've, we have the coalition of Hancock County affordable housing groups. We work with towns on developing in their comprehensive plans and their land use ordinances provisions to facilitate the creation of affordable housing. And we also work with the Community Development Block Grant Program, which uh, has a housing component of rehabilitating substandard housing. That means housing that does not meet basic life safety codes. 
So we're involved in a number of ways. Great, thanks. Um, uh, Chris Spruce, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got in involved in this work, um, and then a little bit about Island Housing Trust. Yeah, my background, professional background, is in uh, media management, uh, journalism, and in public policy analysis. And uh, as part of that uh, public policy analysis, uh, uh, part of my career, um, I worked for the state legislature, and one of the committees I staffed was the Business and Economic Development Committee. And that committee, one of their uh, uh, agencies of jurisdiction was Maine State Housing Authority. So I got to know something about the affordable housing issue uh, by being a staffer there. And then subsequently, uh, uh, the opportunity came up uh, to uh, work with Island Housing Trust as their first full-time executive director. Uh, that, that was five years ago. Uh, I'm in my sixth year now. And uh, so Island Housing Trust uh, was an organization that was actually created about 20-some-odd years ago. Uh, and it started out as a small group in the town of Mount Desert, where they did um, actually uh, worked on uh, uh, affordable housing issues there and managed to do one project that, uh, as many happens with many small nonprofits that went dormant for a while and then came back, was reconstituted in about 2003, 2004, thanks to the MDI Tomorrow Initiative, of which you, you were a part. And, uh, and then uh, they hired me in 2005 to be the executive director and to start working on some uh, workforce housing issues. And again, the mission of Island Housing Trust is not really housing per se, it's to preserve year-round community. And, mm, mm. And, as, and what the um, board of Island Housing Trust chose to do was to pursue that through creating uh, workforce ho affordable housing opportunities for working families and individuals. Mm. So. We'll come back to that um, yep. intriguing mission statement because I think that's really um, what we're all concerned about is, sure. is our, our, our local communities. Amanda, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, Habitat for Humanity. Well, I'll tell you, Ron, my background is not nearly as impressive as these two. Ah, well. Um, I have been with Habitat for uh, a little over a year. I started when the ReStore opened. Um, I started as a volunteer. Uh, something to do with my son uh, to pass the time for him and I to bond a little bit and help people and help the community. Uh, I fell in love. Mm. Um, at that point, I was working uh, full-time at the hospital and um, had been there for a number of years and just put in more time at Habitat and enjoyed the people, enjoyed the community, enjoyed what we were doing. Um, we'll get into a little bit about the ReStore later. Uh, and as the time went by, uh, I had gone to a training for uh, management training for AmeriCorps Vistas and just met so many fascinating people that built, you know, 10, 12, 15 houses a year. And I was just so inspired to, you know, how can we do that? How can we, you know, Habitat's been in Bangor um, for, since 1988. And since then, we've done 12 houses. Then um, it's average about one every couple of years, with the last one being at 2007. So when I came back in February, I said, you know what? I said, we need to do better. I said, you know, there's no reason we can't do two, you know, one a year, if not two a year. Um, so at that point, I said, you know, I'm working full time. I'm, I'm uh, volunteering here 10 to 15 hours a week. I said, you know, we need to hire somebody. I can't do this. You know, I can't, can't do it. So at that point, the board said, you know, well, you want to give it a shot? And I said, wow, okay, sure. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of thought it over and, and jumped in. And I have been, you know, there's not, very few people can say that they grow, you know, they grew up and did what they w always wanted to do. And every day I'm grateful for, for my job and I'm grateful for the people that I work for and I'm grateful for the people that we help. And it's just, it's just truly amazing. Mm. I'm sure that they are lucky to have you. That's, that's a great um, kind of story. Um, 
maybe we could um, start uh, kind of go, go around again, Amanda. How do you find, define as an as organization um, affordable housing? Who are the folks that you're trying to work with um, to get into housing that they can afford? The people that we try to help are, are just, you know, your general average people. I mean, there's people out there. I myself came from, um, you know, years back, um, was a single mother and, and lived in, in um, housing area. And, I mean, it was just, you know, you work and you try to pay the bills. And, you know, most of the time these, these housing areas are based on your income. So you could be paying $700 a month in rent because you choose to work while somebody else chooses to live off, you know, aid and pays $50 a month. Um, these people that we're helping are people who work and people that want to provide a stable environment for their children, but unfortunately, just due to either medical costs or, you know, sometimes you have to make that choice of, you know, buying food or, or you know, paying that bill. And sometimes food for your family is a little bit more important. Mm. So you're basically looking at people who are, are working and need assistance with housing and you get involved. We'll come back to you, I think, and talk about how Habitat ac actually works. Um, Chris, how, how do you define, um, you've used the word workforce housing. Uh, say a little bit more about that. Yeah, uh, w it's a little different than the traditional de definition of affordable housing, which is, has some very specific uh, criteria that the federal government has established and is usually adopted by the state. Uh, workforce housing really has a broader uh, sort of income qualification range um, uh, where the, the traditional uh, affordable housing programs might be 80 percent or below of area median household income, which is a term that doesn't mean a lot to people, but it's a measure that mm. is traditionally used in, in uh, affordable housing um, efforts. Uh, we're uh, generally targeting people in the 120 to 150 percent range. And wh what that means is these are people who, if they lived other than in on MDI or in coastal main communities, probably could afford to buy uh, a starter house but that's almost impossible on MDI with the way the real estate market is and the high cost of those properties. So that's really where, what we're after, that sort of middle income group. Now, we, we do, in fact, have uh, served people who are, uh, could meet the definition, probably do meet the definition of low income, but that, <clears throat> that's not really what we're about. That's what the, I mean, that's really the job of the local housing authorities. Mm -hmm. Tom, maybe you can help, um, again, kind of frame um, some of the, the definitions. Um, you know, working with local towns, how do you help them understand the issue of affordable housing or community housing or workforce housing, however they choose to define that? Well, we break it down into several categories. The first is uh, very low income or low income, which is probably what Amanda was referring to where you, you live in subsidized housing that is determined as Chris was saying by, by the federal government and there you frequently get housing vouchers to cover part of your costs so that that is what I'd call very heavily subsidized housing. Mm. Now you look at what is the median income for Hancock County as of 2008, it was $44,684. And you normally look at about between 25 and 33% of your income being devoted to housing. And in 2009, the average rent in Ellsworth uh, for a two-bedroom apartment was $870. 
and the median household income for a renter was $29,000, and the affordable rent would have been $727, but only 39% of the households, rental households could afford rent, so renting is certainly a problem. Mm. This is one of the things we discuss of towns as ways to increase the stock of rental property. There is some fear among people about rental property for the reason that Amanda said that people are concerned about bringing in people who are not going to work. That's why we uh, use the term such as Chris had workforce housing to explain that it's, it's more people who are trying to break into the housing market here through rental and purchase opportunities. Just another statistic. Uh, in 2009, this is for uh, Hancock County as a whole, the median sales price was $164,000, which actually is less than it was in 2008 when it was 178 thousand and one hundred and ninety five thousand in two thousand seven. But in two thousand nine only fifty nine percent of the households in the county could afford the medium priced house. So there are definitely problems. So what we need to do is try to bring together these various groups and be creative. And this is where I think Chris has been quite successful because there are people who are above the uh, definition of median household income say they don't qualify for official government aid but still can't break in. The other issue that we have discovered is that we don't have as many very low-income people in Hancock County simply because they cannot afford to live here. So there's an awful lot of commuting, and this brings up transportation and tra traffic congestion. I mean, if you look at our major employer, Jackson Lab, it has shuttle buses running from various places, Washington County, Bangor, and the like, just to try to help out. So it's a problem that one can approach from multiple angles. There's a saying in the housing business, drive until you qualify, <laughs> which means that you drive out and out from the center where the employment is until the housing prices are less. And then you look at the depreciation in your car, how much you're paying, for gasoline and what happens if there's an emergency, your child's at school, you just can't run down the street and pick up your child, plus you lose your sense of neighborhood mm. if you're away so much. Mm. Right. And I think, Chris, that's, that's where we come back to the, your mission as an organization is that you're really concerned about the community, the whole community. Yeah, that's right. We're, uh, I mean, the, this isn't uh, unique to MDI, but it has been a, uh, an ongoing issue uh, all along uh, the coast of the United States, uh, but particularly in, in resort communities where, you know, the desire for that property as a seasonal property begins to crowd out uh, the opportunity for year-round uh, residents to stay there and to own. Unfortunately, that diminishes the capacities in the communities um, uh, during the, the nine months when those, the, the resort folks or the summer folks aren't here. Uh, and that creates a real problem in terms of things like staffing the fire department and the emergency medical services and, and the hospitals and so on. So. Uh, really, that's what we're really about, trying to make sure that those people, the, the firemen, the policemen, the, the Jackson lab workers, the hospital workers, uh, the school employees can uh, live on the island and live in the communities in which they work. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's primarily what we're after, and that's how we uh, go about meeting our mission of preserving year-round community. 
Um, and, you know, Tom brings up a great point about the commuting because, you know, that's not just a um, financial issue. And we've had uh, an economic analysis done basically saying that, you know, uh, something, something in the range of uh, $8,500 to $19,000 per year uh, in cost is, a, is avoided in either higher wages or traveling cost if people live on the island versus, say, commuting from Bangor or, or uh, further north of Ellsworth. So, so that's, a, that's per family or per, per family? Uh -huh. So it's, it's a, there's a real cost here, but there's also a social cost, which is those people aren't there to volunteer in the community. They're, you know, their kids are not in the local schools, uh, and so the school populations suffer. And they have a lousy quality of life, a lousier quality of life, if you will, if you've got to spend an hour, an hour and a half in your car commuting one way to work. Mm. So. Mm. Amanda, I can imagine you're dealing with some different problems in the Bangor area or Penobscot County. That's, that's your, your um, area. But you must find that some of these stories are similar to what you're dealing with. I mean, they're similar. I, I can understand, you know, the, the, most of the people that go into subsidized housing actually try to do the rent thing on their own. But, you know, as I ran into it in my younger years, um, they had, you know, you have to make a choice of, you know, you have to pay your rent. That's just, mm -hmm. there's no choice. But then the cost of oil goes up and then the cost of daycare and you don't qualify for any assistance and, you know, because you make too much money. And But then again, you can't, you know, buy your kids a Happy Meal or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's, it's hard to make those choices as a parent. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of time uh, people find themselves, you know, in in situations where, you know, they have to do things that they're, you know, that they're not proud of as far as, you know, not paying one bill and, and you know, getting further in debt, and then they just can't find their way out. Mm. And and the, the notion of um, that Chris is talking about of, of recognizing that some communities aren't going to have people who do the, do the work. Um, right, correct. And, and so I would imagine um, the, the people in the Bangor area um, see some of that too. They're driving further and further out. They're working in Bangor, but they're, they're, they're driving further and further um, to get, get home. And that means Bangor isn't as vibrant a place as it, as it might be if uh, they could afford to live in the, in the town that they worked in. I'm going to just remind listeners that they're attuned to WERU and Talk of the Towns. We're talking about making housing more affordable in, the, in the, this area of Maine, um, but out, the, these principles would apply elsewhere, I'm sure. In the studio with us, we have Amanda Charette of Habitat for Humanity in, in the Bangor area, Chris Spruce with Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island, and Tom Martin of the Hancock County Planning Commission. Well, let's talk more about how you actually uh, do um, your work. Um, Chris, what, are, what are, the, are the spread of projects that you actually get involved in? Well, uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, it, it was about five years ago that we really, uh, the Island Housing Trust, uh, sort of began to coalesce and focus uh, its, its uh, site on what it wanted to do for its mission uh, as an organization and, and to identify potential projects. And uh, so for about three years, uh, roughly from 2005 to 2008, we did a lot of planning and identifying and, and working uh, with the town of Mount Desert to identify a parcel of land that we could start a project on or a development on, and also working with other, uh, creating other public-private partnerships. So today, uh, uh, in, in the last two years, we've created eight uh, housing opportunities, home ownership opportunities for families on the island. Uh, five of them are at uh, a development we call Ripples Hill in Somesville uh, off the Beach Hill Road. And that was on 10 acres of land that the uh, town of Mount Desert uh, donated to us for this purpose. Uh, and uh, we've created three other uh, 
home ownership opportunities, uh, one in Somesville and Tumba Harbor. Uh, one of them was a unique partnership with Maine Coast Heritage Trust for a property that they bought to uh, preserve some of the uh, access to Northeast Creek. And, and there was a house on that property that they really didn't want to hold on to. And so they worked with us to find a buyer at a um, reduced price. And we hold affordability covenants now on that property. But we have a firefighter, paramedic, and a and a, uh, a nurse who live on that house with their two children. And uh, we've also worked with a private developer in the Salisbury Cove area uh, to put a family uh, of three in, a, in uh, one of her houses qualify them. And a second house is being done this year. So there is a ninth opportunity coming right along. Mm. Uh, so it sounds like um, you've looked at a, a broad spectrum of ways to get people in either rental or um, purchase opportunities. Yeah. Again, we haven't at this point focused a lot on rental because there's, there's a whole different set of uh, circumstances that go along with that. Mm. So we've really uh, concentrated on first time, what would be first time home buyers or home buyer opportunities. Uh, but yeah, we we um, we have identified uh, a range of people who need these services and, or these uh, opportunities, and so we try to then match them up with what we have. But there there is no one way of doing mm. this. There's um, we've we've learned that you have to be creative and flexible and sort of fast on your feet to make some of this happen. And uh, so we think there are probably uh, five or six or seven other approaches that we haven't had the opportunity to explore yet. We kind of know they're there, but the stars haven't aligned. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we'll be continuing to pursue those over the You mentioned ahead. something called an affordability covenant. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Uh, all of the funds that we use to help make these properties affordable to moderate income households, uh, the funds are privately raised. We don't have any government subsidy or funds. We And so as a result, uh, we make an investment in these properties, either through building infrastructure or uh, infrastructure mean roads, mean and, roads sewer, sewers and, yep. and, and so forth. And, or we you know, make a, an investment in a house where money is left on the table. And so we protect that investment uh, to make the house affordable, uh, accessible to moderate income people by using these so-called affordability covenants. And without going into great detail, very boring detail, I might add, <laughs> about how these covenants work, basically they're saying that, you know, we want people, when they go to resell these properties, to realize some limited equity. And we tie that to a change in the rate of wages over the period of time they own the house. Again, more complicated than anybody wants to know. But in other words, they get some equity out of the house, but they can't essentially double or triple uh, what they paid for the house. Uh, that way we keep it in the affordable housing stock and it say in theory stays affordable to families in that income range in mm -hmm. perpetuity. Great. Amanda, tell us a little bit about how Habitat works and, and uh, the way if you've got a, an opportunity to build a house, how, do, how does it work? Um, what we do is uh, we have uh, a restore uh, in Holden, and we take donated building supplies uh, from area homeowners and builders, and we turn around and sell it to the public. Um, lately, we've been getting into furniture and appliances, um, paint, windows, doors, any type of household type item other than knickknacks and fabrics and such. Uh, we turn around and sell it to the public, and the proceeds from the store go into our building fund. Uh, we, like I said uh, earlier, we want to increase our building capacity from one every couple of years to one if not two a year. We started um, this house, my first house, in July and uh, you know we've learned a lot of things over the process of family selection and such that things that we could do better next time and things that went really well. And 
from the local community, from the donations and the discounts that we've been getting on the building supplies, and from a piece of land that we've received, uh, we'll be able to build again in March. Mm. And uh, so tell us a little bit about the economics of a particular house and a particular family, not providing names of somebody, but just how does it actually work? Um, how do people apply? And what is it they get? Um, do they get a house? Um, what? Well, what happens is, is they, um, it's a, that's a common question. Mm -hmm. What happens is, is that, you know, we put the word out there and we do a couple of, um, you know, preliminary uh application processes and you know people have to understand it's not extreme makeover you don't get this you know fabulous house with mm -hmm. all these entities I mean mm -hmm. you get you get a home that's yours mm -hmm. and and it's not free either mm -hmm. I mean uh, homeowners have to the particular family that we're building for um, is a family of seven um, they have five children uh, mother and father have been married 25 years um, the oldest child has graduated from college and is not at home but the second oldest child is a 20 year old with cerebral palsy um, they currently live, uh, the father is employed, has been employed for the last seven years. They currently live in transitional housing, um, which in Bangor is an opportunity for them to live in an apartment for two years. They still, you know, they still pay a rent and everything. Um, but after that two years, they need to transition out and give somebody else an opportunity to get on their feet. Mm -hmm. uh, theirs runs out in January. Uh, but the apartment is not uh, handicapped accessible. Um, so the boy has to, I mean... He is very low functional um, cerebral palsy, and he cannot get his wheelchair in between the, the hallways and the doorways. Mm. So um, one of the things that broke my heart when I met them is when I went to their home for a home visit, you know, he crawled out into the kitchen um, because he can't use his wheelchair inside the house. Um, you know, this is, we don't particularly look for a family that has a disability um, who, or this particular circumstance. Um, this family had a need. Um, their housing uh, was going to run out in January. Um, it's not adequate home for their son. It's not adequate home for the rest of their children. Um, and we go through a process, and the family has to put in 350 hours of sweat equity. And what that is is, in our particular case, um, the father has come, um, he's going to do two weeks vacation, and he's put in a couple of days here and there. The mother comes and works for me at the store, um, a couple of the children that are old enough. Uh, friends of theirs can do 100 of their hours. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of it, they'll get a 0% 30-year uh, mortgage. Mm -hmm. Great. Right. And and so in addition to the restore, do you have other sources of income? Do you do fundraise as well? We do fundraising. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, I'm just getting into, mm -hmm. you know, my first year here. Uh, last year I did head up the uh, fundraising committee and previous they had done uh, successful dinners. I mean, they had done, you know, four or $500 dinners. And last year we did our first dinner and auction and walked away with about $2,500. So we were pretty excited. We learned a lot of things from that. Um, we're getting ready to start a big fundraiser for this fall. Uh, we do, uh, we're in the process of uh, trying to get government funding, uh, trying to do grants. Um, unfortunately, that's probably not one of my strongest points, but mm -hmm. I'm learning. Um, we get a lot of support from the, the community and individuals, and, you know, it's... And are you working with donated land or uh, purchased land at a low cost? How do you get the land for We that? have purchased it in the uh -huh. past, yeah. um, but the particular pieces that we're working with now are donated. Okay. Uh, the piece that we're working with right now was donated from the city of Bangor, um, and the piece that we'll be working with in the spring is donated from uh, Brian Ames of AM. A Ames A&E. Okay. 
Okay, great. Engineered, yeah. Great. I'll come back to um, some of the, those topics in just a minute. This is Talk of the Towns. We're talking about making housing more affordable in Hancock County. And I'll uh, give our guests um, a chance to talk a little bit more, and we'll announce our phone numbers in just a minute. But if you'd like to be helpful in uh, WERU's Summer Funathon, it's almost here. It starts Saturday the 14th. Um, that's tomorrow. And we still have a few phone answering spots. If you'd like to join the efforts supporting Grassroots Community Radio behind the scenes, please call 469-6600 right now and talk to Chris. And uh, we thank you for that um, volunteering. Again, this is Talk of the Towns. Our guests are Tom Martin of the Hancock County Planning Commission, Chris Bruce of the Island Housing Trust in Mount Desert, um, on Mount Desert Island, I should say, and Amanda Charette, Habitat for Humanity in the Bangor area. And um, uh, our phone numbers are one 866 625 9378. That's 1-866-625-9378 or locally 469-0500. If you'd like to have a, uh, give us a call and, and ask a question or share your experience with um, making housing more affordable in Hancock County. Tom, it's, it sounds like in, in both uh, Chris's case and Amanda's case, one way a, a town or a city can be involved is to donate land um, to provide for affordable housing. Yes, I was thinking as they were speaking about this breakdown of what are the elements of housing costs. There's mm -hmm. land, mm -hmm. which you donated land, that reduces the cost. There's uh, construction, restore, sup help supply materials, or at least raise money to buy materials, and construction divided into labor and materials. And there's financing. Mm because you do need to have some sort of a good financing package so that we've talked a lot about really the first two components. The this third component, financing, there are programs through Main State Housing Authority that can help with financing. And quite honestly, I don't understand the details of those. But and those are applied for by the individual or by the town? That would be by the individual, but I, I don't. I don't want to assume in the case of these two folks that that's how they do it. Yeah. Right. We'll talk about financing perhaps some um, a little bit yeah. later. But we do have our first uh, phone call. Um, give us your name and um, your first name and and where you're calling from, and go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi. Uh, this is David. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Yes. Uh, thanks for the show. Um, I've been following the uh, affordable housing. Uh, projects a, a little bit uh, as we have one going in Brooklyn um, and I have a question which uh, maybe you could address uh, I wonder well first as, as a general question I wonder how you square away your stated intention to uh, uh, make it possible for the communities which are presently in existence and were in the past in existence, especially in coastal Maine, to maintain themselves, how you square that away with your stated intention to bring in uh, 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 above median wage earners into the community as if you were uh, uh, tailoring a community almost to uh, to fit certain standards, which I have trouble understanding how that relates to uh, maintaining and preserving the 
the basic nature of a community. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, about uh, why it's well, let's, so let's, difficult let's, for let's, affordable housing uh, projects in well-to-do communities to open themselves to participation from uh, folks who make median income or below median income who nonetheless are frequently very crucial and important members of, of an, an ongoing and stable community which uh, doesn't fall apart when uh, people go away for the summer, right. which is able to take care of its uh, uh, maintenance needs, uh, for example, um, and its growing needs, for example. Good. That's a great uh, question. Like Thank you very much for your call this morning. one 625 9378 if you'd like to participate in Talk of the Towns as we talk about making houses more affordable in Hancock County. I think I'll go to Chris because maybe there was a misconception right. um, in the minds of, of the listener. Yeah, we're not trying to tailor, certainly not trying to tailor uh, the, the type of person who's in the community. Now, in many cases, the folks who we work with are already living in the community and have been renters uh, and hold jobs there. What they're facing is they, they're at the point in their either their career or their, their family life when they need to move into a home ownership situation out of a rental situation and understand that the rental situation on MDI is fairly tight as well in terms of year-round rentals. So the next logical thing is to get a house. Well, many of these folks end up moving off the island because that's where they can afford the house. So now they're commuting back to the island. Their kids are not in the school and so forth. So we're not trying to tailor this into something other than, you know, one specific type or group of employees. We're just saying that many of these people, if they weren't living on MDI, they would probably be able to buy, uh, uh, you know, buy a house there with the income that they have. So that's the unmet need. Uh, certainly are not excluding uh, people. In fact, as I said, the range of people that we work with go from roughly 70% of AMI up to, you know, 150 or so. So, I mean, it's it's not like it's so you're not exclusive. You're not trying to bring people in. In fact, no. you probably have... We're kind um, of trying to keep them here. Right, really. yeah. mm -hmm. right. Um, uh, Tom, I have a question for Chris, yes. if that's mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, are these people that don't uh, traditionally um, qualify for traditional financing? Yeah, they don't. They don't qualify for any of the programs uh, that Tom mentioned. Um, they may... On, in some cases, qualifies for some main state housing first-time home buyers program, which is, goes to 120% of AMI and below. Uh, but uh, they don't really qualify for anything else. And so what we do is, is work with these uh, individuals, and we work with the local banks. And in many cases, the local banks give a special interest rate and work with us, to, to and they accept our affordability covenants and all of the things that go along with it. So it's really kind of a local a community initiative, and it's and it is as I said. If many of these folks and some of them do, so many of the people who work on MDI don't live on MDI; they live somewhere else because that's where they could afford to go. But they're also making long commutes and so forth. And then we don't have them in the community. We don't have the children in the school. Ripples Hills alone, there's um, I think we've got ten children who have we've maintained in local schools because they haven't had to move off the island. Mm. And many of these people who well, uh, I think the couple that. Uh, is in the fifth, going into the fifth house at Ripples in about a month. Um, they have three children, and they've moved five times in as many years. So 
this is an issue of stability in -hmm. the household Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, keeping the community intact. So this is really about providing some choices. And now there's, uh, Tom, you can probably tell us um, in general terms, you've probably seen population increases in towns like Amherst and Mariahville and, and so some of those northern Hancock County towns. And we're seeing decreasing population um, in some of the, the coastal towns. So some people choose to live in a more rural um, setting. Um, they, they like um, living in there and so they choose to, but many people are, are moving there because they really can't afford um, to live elsewhere. I would say so. And I would say, for example, citing the gentleman from Brooklyn, I don't have statistics for this year, but last year, the Brooklyn School, I believe, had 65 students. That's the K for A school, and it has a capacity of uh, 130. And other schools are losing enrollment that way, too. So that uh, it is definitely a problem. And then inland, the schools are growing in enrollment. In, in Mariahville, Otis, both towns increased their population by 50 percent between 1990 and 2000. And the sense of community is more than simply uh, talking about Mount Desert Island. Like, mm. for example, in Brooklyn, the boat building firms had trouble getting employees. This was before the recession uh, hit. And Blue Hill Memorial Hospital has trouble retaining nurses. So it's really the it's really trying to maintain a sense of community overall, rather than trying to bring new people in. Mm-hmm. We do have another phone call. Uh, list our phone numbers one more time: one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We have a caller. Go ahead, uh, tell us your first name and the town you're calling from, and go ahead with your question or comment, please. Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. Isn't the housing problem really just symptomatic of inequitable patterns of ownership? Everywhere you look on Mount Desert Island, you can see untenanted residences. And I don't just mean seasonal cottages that are not fitted for winter use. And it just seems a little odd that there are, well, from what I understand, there are approximately as many unsold houses in America as there are homeless people. There are homeless people camping out in homes that they were evicted from. So um, I wonder if attacking housing as a problem is really getting at the root of the problem. Well, we'll see what our guests say. Thanks, Thanks for, your for call. the show. I'm going to hang you. up. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. If you'd like to participate in Talk of the Towns as we talk about making housing more affordable, any any comments f- to our our um, caller? I think that one's to Chris again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, there's not inequities, economic inequities in our society, but um, I don't think my organization is big enough to solve all those. However, the the approach we've chosen really is to. Uh, is to try to get around the market forces that have created the issue. And so by, again, raising funds and and buying down uh, some of the housing costs so we can keep uh, low and moderate income families on the island, working families, and that's the important part. All of these people work on the island. That's a criteria. You have to have employment there. Um, 
uh, is important, uh, and and perhaps the ho- housing issue is only a symptom and and not the underlying problem. But again, we can only do what we can do within our, our resources and within our area. And we feel that creating these opportunities, even though this is a very deliberative sort of slow process, it's one or two. Uh, houses a year. Amanda really is doing the same thing. It's a, a few uh, opportunities created every year over a period of time, particularly by using the deed restrictions and affordability covenants. You do create this alternative stock of housing that is available to working individuals and families. And that's, that's the best we can do. It's it's not the worldview. It's not fixing all of the problems, but it's trying to take a bite at it and, a, and take a, a, a piece of the problem and, and address it in the only way we know mm. how to do it. But if someone came to you and said, I've got a house, I, you know, I don't really need the money to, you know, if I sold it, uh, but I'd be happy to give it to you and you could turn it into something affordable. It's on you, MDI. I'd leave my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually had that. We, yeah. had, we were donated a property. Uh, it had a uh, an old uh, uh, cottage on it and it was about two and a half acres of land in Somesville. It was donated to us. Uh, we turned around and sold it to a working couple uh, for far under the uh, assessed value of the property, uh, they subsequently built a, uh, a, a small uh, house on the property, uh, and it's now among the year-round uh, mm. housing stock. So we've actually, that's one of the approaches we've actually taken. We'd love to do more, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, you know, people coming along with donations of land don't happen every day. But no. we, you, we certainly you. would love to have that opportunity again. It's, it's one of the most effective ways of doing it because it allows us to, um, you know, uh, take, get a little bit of funding out of that property but still keep it very affordable. And we don't risk the money the, the people who buy it do, and yet they agree to the covenants because they got such a great deal on the purchase mm. of the land. I recall that uh, Mount Desert Island learned a lot from Martha's Vineyard in, in uh, this yes, early did. stage, yeah. but you haven't quite reached the stage of having a used house lot. Tell us a little bit about that concept. Yeah, uh, no, uh, we haven't yet had that opportunity of infill, if you will, uh, particularly in the, the uh, centers of the community. We'd love to have that opportunity. Uh, it just hasn't occurred yet, but the way that works is basically somebody donates that land, and again, you either build a house on it and sell it, or you uh, somebody comes along and and you sell them the property and they build on it. No, I was thinking about um, someone who doesn't want the house that's on their land. Oh, yes. And they oh, oh, actually that, move the, the house moving, to a used yes. house lot, right. and then somebody right, is able concept. to buy that. Yeah, we haven't had that opportunity yet. Yep. And and th- there's a, we, I was actually just talking with somebody about this the other day, and the, the biggest issue is maybe we could find somebody who would be willing to do that. Again, we haven't had the yeah. opportunity yet. But the, the other side of that is if you're going to move it, you got to have some way to move it to. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you've got to have some available got, land. Right. And, you know, we don't really, I mean, we do have the Ripples Hill development, but that's a that's a planned mm-hmm. subdivision. It's mm-hmm. not something you can just come in and plunk a house on. But yeah. we'd like, so that concept will work, but we got to get both ends of it to, sure. to match up. Sure. Well, I, I think John Abrams and the folks down on Martha's Vineyard actually had a place um, in town where they could move houses yes. to. Yes. And then when they found the land, they could move it. Um, to yeah. for the for the uh, the end customer, yeah. they, w- they would do and, it. And so if I could just just add on to that, the, the the great thing that John Abrams and those folks have done, and and it, it's a very acute situation down there, probably even more acute than ours, if that's possible. But um, they've been able to create some funding tools working with the state 
and local governments. And, you know, we just don't have that breadth of uh, resource here that makes that happen. And it's, it, you know, maybe someday possible, but certainly not in these times. It, I mean, it, we feel really fortunate that the town of Mount Desert took the up, you know, took the chance to uh, give us some land in which to do this uh, Ripple Hill development. And we thought that was a huge step, uh, you know, to think that now some sort of local resource in, in terms of cash funding will follow is a little bit mm -hmm. too much at this so point. So you're referring to the, 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 uh, the right. situation in Massachusetts where local towns could apply for the state and get a, a portion of a sales tax right. um, on, on houses, basically. Right. We've tried that, of course. That's been proposed in, in our legislature a number of times, and it's been defeated uh, each time. Uh, and um, it, it's a great concept. It's just the, the political will to enable it in Maine hasn't come about yet. And mm -hmm. I, like I say, in these, in, in a time now where you've got uh, essentially, uh, uh, we're trying to come out of a severe recession, that's probably not the greatest time mm -hmm. to be proposing mm -hmm. it. Well, both you and Tom, Chris um, Spruce and Tom Martin, have mentioned this sense of community, and one of our callers did as well. Um, how difficult it is, is it to make that argument that unless we pay attention to this issue, it may not be the root cause, but it's a symptom of, of how, where we are, if we don't pay attention to who can afford to live in our communities? We really risk, um, you know, the future of these communities. Tom, is it when you encounter uh, public officials? It's probably not the first thing on their mind. They've got other things to think about. But is is that argument effective? I think that it is. I have been working this past year, live past couple of years, live three towns in Hancock County that are very different: Cranberry Isles, Tremont, and Castine. All three towns are concerned about losing the year-round population and just becoming a summer resort area. So I think trying to maintain the year-round community, I think that the other problem is that we have the oldest, Maine is the, has the highest median age in the uh, county, and Hancock County's median age is above the state median. I mean, if, one way to look at it, which is very unscientific, is just to look in the neighborhood where you folks live, how many people have their grandchildren nearby? Because their children marry, go off, and don't have that close family connection. Mm. So that sense of community um, really does go to who's living there and, and what are their connections. We're going to take one more call. Uh, good morning. You're on Talk of the Towns. If you'd give us your first name and where you're calling from and then go ahead with your question or comment. Hi, it's David again. Uh, I'm calling back with a, a brief question, which is whether uh, with your um, uh, sort of centralizing ability that, that uh, you folks have through being part of a, uh, a larger state organization, and, or at least uh, urban organization in one way or another. Uh, what you can say about uh, the, the possibility of co-housing, uh, mm. housing uh, several families in uh, what would initially be a more expensive structure, but which would, for each family, represent a much a uh, smaller outlay of uh, very critical funds for, for all working families. 
That's a great question. World, no. Thank okay. you for your your, your question. Uh, we'll get some comments. one 625 9378 if you'd like to participate. Co-housing is a concept we've dealt with here on Talk of the Towns before. Chris, can you just say talk about that potential? Yeah, the, the actually, uh, not too far from here in Belfast, there's a co-housing project going on. And uh, it really is a project where it's uh, very often it's a design-build uh, concept where people are actually the people who live there are actually involved in designing the community and working with the architects and the builders to do that. And then they essentially buy into that uh, community by uh, buying a, into a, a structure or a house and then there's a, a shared, usually a shared central facility that has a, a kitchen and meeting rooms and, and perhaps extra bedrooms and so forth. So the, the ba each person's base house can be smaller because there's some overflow space in that uh, central facility. Um, there's several of them in New England. Uh, it's a concept, I think, that comes from Europe. Uh, and, um, you know, a little bit of Ripples Hill is like that in terms of the sort of design. We build very, very energy-efficient houses on very small lots, about a 1,300-square-foot house. And uh, so it's a little bit of that element, but we don't have the, the shared facility, and we're not a true uh, co-housing. Uh, but some of, the, some of the concepts we've mm -hmm. adapted into mm -hmm. our project. Tom, you mentioned that um, that there are a number of costs to housing, land being one, the infrastructure costs, and financing. We've talked a little bit about financing, that there are some government programs that people, individuals can do, and then both of uh, Habitat for Humanity and Island Housing Trust are really helping with the financing piece. You've um, been working with some towns around uh, providing some of that infrastructure, um, septic and, and well replacement, that sort of thing. That certainly could help um, with the affordability of some houses. Yes. In the case of the well and septic program, that is a grant program that's being administered by the Washington Hancock Community Agency, but we were, we're working closely with that group. And what it is, it's for low to moderate income persons who do not have a functioning septic system or safe drinking water. And I'd be happy to give out the number. I'll give it here and perhaps... Uh, There'd be some other way to get it out, but it's 546-7544, extension 3383, if anyone's facing a well or septic program. But I will stress that this is for persons of low to moderate income, which is 80% or less of the 44,000 that we mentioned earlier. Okay. We have one more phone call. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, this is Becky from Blue Hill. Um, I'm concerned that uh, moving into the green era that we're ha all our regulations and housing standards have to do with a very ungreen standard mm -hmm. in that uh, we are insisting on septic systems that are not green and toilets which could be compost toilets and the, the towns do not ha or the state does not have an alternative building code for the green for people who want to be green um, I know one uh, person who could not build on a subdivision because she wanted to have, uh, you know, a, uh, a wetland reed type uh, gray water system, but the town refused her. So I am concerned about, you know, that, and I know it's not about affordable. Well, yeah, it is about affordable. I take it back because <laughs> these things can also create more affordability. Um, In the long run, yes. Yeah. So, uh, and, and other types of housing codes that sort of match uh, more of a bank's financial need to make money or a person who wants equity in a property rather than, you know, reducing um, the impact 
on the environment. Okay, uh, that's great, it. Great, great question, and, and perhaps a, a topic for another show. I'm going to write that down because I think we could spend an hour on that. Yeah. Chris, you've, you've tried to address some of these issues, but you run up against them. Tom may be able to comment about some of the town standards. Yeah, it, well, it's. I think it's a fairly typical thing. Uh, uh, technology and and uh, progress and innovation run ahead of regulation. That's sort of the way it's always worked. And uh, so this is just another case of that. I mean, Maine does have green building standards uh, th uh, through the Maine State Housing Authority that we actually used in, in uh, the building of the houses at Ripples Hill. Uh, and so there is some uh, uh, element there, but t to get all the way to the the issue that the caller mentioned, I mean, I think we're we're going to get there, but it's going to take some time. Okay, I'm going to take one more call, and then we're going to be looking at the top of the hour and, and winding up our program. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, this is Perry from Monroe. Um, I've been working with the Census Bureau for the last um, month or so, and every town of Waldo County that I go into. I run into personally about a half a dozen foreclosed homes mm -hmm. that are not for sale. Mm -hmm. It seems to me if these homes were actually on the market, it's going to lower the cost of homes in general, particularly these that are generally the lower end of the market bracket, and would help younger people with uh, better f affordable homes. That's great. And all of these homes are ones that have four inches of insulation or none. Uh -huh. And they're going to need a lot of rehab to make them meet the uh, uh, high cost of oil in the future. That's, yep. It's really important that these properties get put on the market and affect market prices so that people can move into some of these homes. That's a great comment, and thanks for your, your wisdom from the, the uh, census trail. Thanks very much for your call. You're welcome. Amanda, you've, you've got probably some thoughts about how, to, how do we turn some of these houses into um, housing stock. One of the programs that we've uh, wanted to look into is rehabbing, and uh, it's not always necessarily about new builds, but there are, fam you know, there are houses out there that do get foreclosed that we just, you know, in theory, want to be able to rehab and and provide a family with that affordable housing. Um, our particular problem is the uh, we don't have the staff to do so, and and most of our construction comes from volunteers. Mm. Um, so I think if we had more of an outreach of people that wanted to contribute and and building and rehabbing these properties, we would be absolutely be able to turn them around. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tom, you uh, mentioned uh, Washington Hancock Community Agency. They do a lot of uh, energy conservation and rehabbing type work, don't they? Yes, they do. And again, if you call that number, uh, five four six uh, seven five uh, seven five four four extension three three eight three, you'll be able to get some help. Uh, there. Great. I'm going to have to wind, us, wind up the program, but maybe I could ask each of you to say, where do you want to be in five to seven years with, with this kind of work? Um, where, where do you want to take affordable housing? Very briefly, Tom. What I'd like to see is more municipal ordinances that facilitate the sort of work that Chris is doing. Great. Amanda, where would you like to be um, in five to seven years? Oh, I'd love to see us build, you know, two or three houses a year and have the community more involved and more involvement from the local area businesses. Mm, great. And your contact information, how do, would people reach you in the Bangor um, area? It's 942-8977, or you can reach us on our website at www.habitatbangor.org, and we're also on Facebook. 
That's great. Tom Martin, what's the contact information for the Hancock County Planning Commission? 667-7131 is our phone number. Our website is www.hcpcme.org. Great, thanks. And Chris, uh, last word to you. Where do you want to be? And then list your contact yeah, information. Sort of with Amanda, we'd like to create two or three additional uh, affordable home ownership opportunities uh, in MDI communities over the next, uh, over that period of time. By then, you know, we will have really been successful at creating the beginnings of a good stock of uh, year-round housing that is accessible to working individuals and families. Uh, our contact information is, uh, you can find us at www.islandhousingtrust.org and you'll find information about us there, including a, a lovely explanation of what those affordability covenants consist of and, and how they work. Great. Well, I want to thank each of you for being our guests here on Talk of the Towns. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. And I do, would remind you that um, you can support us um, starting tomorrow with our Funathon. And uh, if you'd like to volunteer as a, as a phone answerer, you can call 469-6600 right now to sign up for a shift. Um, Talk of the Towns is uh, produced um, from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Fridays of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Um, thanks again to Tom Martin of the Hancock County Planning Commission, Chris Bruce of the Island Housing Trust on Mount Desert Island, and Amanda Charette of Habitat for Humanity in Bangor. Thanks to those who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.